Welcome to the Living with Heart podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Good morning, Dr. Chip Dodd. How Hello, are you? Brian. It's good to see you. It is good. To it see really you. is, by the Thank way. Thank you. You know, that's not just intro. Yeah. It's like real. I love doing this together. Yes. Too. Like not just together in terms of like doing it together, but yes. physically being in the same room yeah. together. I think it's probably a bit of an overflow from the experience of COVID of being like, I will do things as in as much in person as possible. Yes. So I'm You know, a lot I've heard even um Recently there, I was talking to a, an analyst, a therapist analyst, and he said that people are, won't do Zoom anymore. Yeah, they're done makes, with it. I mean, it makes I, sense. I want to come into your office. It makes sense. Kind I mean, of thing. I feel the over, you know, the uh, the hangover from mm -hmm. that experience all the mm -hmm. time where somebody's like, you want to do a Zoom? And I'm and like, yet, I don't man, want to. And Zoom is so helpful. I mean, right. it's a way to for, for me to communicate or others. We get to communicate from great distances. So right. if the distance is the encumbrance, then we do Zoom. Right. If I can see you, let's do it. Let's be yeah. Yeah. together. And by the way, neuroscientifically, the eyes of two people in the same room seeing each other is faster than a computer gigabytes can keep up with. Yeah, I was actually it's gonna, amazing. I, I was, was going to actually ask you about that because I read some stuff talking about how, you know, it's like what percentage of communication is nonverbal and particularly when you're doing work that is mm -hmm. uh, counseling or coaching yeah. related, you know, how much you need to feel safe and have yep. mirrored back to you, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a, an appropriate response to what it is you've just shared. It just that, feels like being, you know, that kicks off. Well, let, let's, let's look at that just for a minute okay. instead of waiting. What's amazing is it, it, it this is, this is going to be funny a little bit, but that is, is so true that so much communication absorption, and looking for happens with eye contact. Mm -hmm. It's astounding. I'm not going to get off into the disease stuff about people communicating, making up stories and messages. But what's amazing is that the eyes are quicker than technology and they gather more data information than technology can. But what we're doing when we're doing that, we're actually looking for something. We're actually trying to get a, an answer to the question for life. Hmm. And there, there is an answer to life. Yeah. And I'm going to give the answer to life on this second podcast, right? Wow. <laughs> we should have delayed it. We should say that for like a season finale. Yeah. Like you, have to, you have to listen yeah. more than two. Uh, after season one, <laughs> we do the, we're going to give you the answer to yeah, life. Right. You know, I've, I've, I've asked people before I said, I've got, I, I have the answer to life, but like, you know, it's just me. Right. And I'm in this small town. And I'm the guy with the answer to life. Are you like, that can't be right. And then I'll say, do you believe that yeah, I'm going to yeah. give you the answer yeah. to life? And they all look at me like, no. Yeah, they go, can any, can any good come out of Murfreesboro? Well, it, yeah, exactly. Well, here is really and truly the answer to life living on this earth. And the answer to life is a question. And it's, mm. it's long before neuroscience came around and validated this. Mm. I was already talking about it. And the answer to life is this. Do you like me? I like you mm. circle. Yes or no. Mm. And that's it. Mm. And we're looking for yeses, mm. but to live life in its fullness, we have to be able to gra uh, grasp the ability to hear no. Mm. Okay. So tolerance for no acceptance of yes, but being able to ask the question, do you like me? I like you mm. is vital mm. now, but how come that's so vital is because of the way that, we're created the way the brain works that your brain, my brain all the time 
even when we're repairing, uh, you know, uh, replacing a tire, a flat tire, or making a cake, or doing neurosurgery, believe it or not, we can be completely involved in left brain activity, which is like analytical, objective, plugging something in without thinking about it because we know that's where it goes, but we're trying to make something work. The, the right brain in the limbic world, which we don't even have to get into, but basically your frontal lobe, the front of your brain, the thinking brain is always asking one question all the time, 24-7 in every interaction with people. It's, is it safe? Hmm. Is it safe? Are you safe? Are you someone who can, uh, I, I can belong with, matter mm-hmm. to? Or, are you someone that will uh, not harm me or maybe even help me? Can I trust you? We're asking a series of questions. And we're asking that frontal lobe question, is it safe, like a doorkeeper question. But there's a second question that we're finding out whether or not we can ask. So the number one question, is it safe? And if I find out that you are safe, then I can ask in a variation of ways the second question. And the second question is, do you care? Hmm. And is it safe and do you care becomes the answer to life because what it means is I can connect with you. I can be myself with you. I can be fully present with you. I can perform and be present with you. I can be integrated with you. Hmm. I can let, let myself make mistakes with you and not live in the pressure of adrenaline or cortisone or anxiety of knowing I'm going to get condemned if I do make those mistakes. Hmm. I mean, it's just, it's freedom. Hmm. Our problem is that one, we run from the question. Two, we're ignorant about the question. Three, we're in denial about the question. Four, we've lost contact with the question because the world takes over in survival. But people who are traumatized, and there are a lot of people who have trauma. Trauma means that you've lost connection with your feelings and the ability to speak them, honestly. But people who are traumatized are always asking the question, is it safe? And they never find out that it is. Mm. So they never do trust that caring can occur. Mm. Because people who come from, let's just say where I come from, uh, find it very difficult to trust Yes, I'm safe. Yeah. What do, so, you, what do you mean? You, you said where I come from. What do you well, mean when you say that? Well, tra- trauma, if you come from a world in which not only were you not raised feeling your feelings and being able to tell the truth about them, which we'll right. get into today because right. we're born like that. But if you're raised in a world where uh, people didn't do feelings and they, it wasn't safe to have them, it wasn't safe to be normal, and if you have the complications of the damage that people around you are doing to themselves – by not feeling, then you're growing up in an addictive environment or we'll just call it addiction, the things we do to run away from how we feel, which how I grew up. My, right. my first 20-something years were growing up in an environment that was uh, destructive around feelings and then feelings were not even a thing we did. It was unsafe. So if you grow up in that kind of place, then what happens is that you are always checking, is it safe? And every relationship is one you're testing all the time Mm. rather than resting in testing rather than resting. Yeah. What I'm thinking of is I read, uh, the perfect loss for the first time. Oh yeah. And do you remember, I can go find it because I actually, by the way, that's a book about the beatitudes. 
Right. Yeah. And it's your memoir, right? Is that how you yeah, frame it? Like I, a memoir? You know, I, I hate to use the word memoir because I've been shamed for it. Why? And I have it's it. like something that like... Well, it's like, oh yeah, Chip, you wrote a book about yourself. And it's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> right. Like memoirs are for like presidents. After yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like people who aren't from here. Yeah. No, but that, uh, uh, but it, I wrote the book and I, I, I saw it as I dared to use myself. Hmm. I dared to use myself as an example because hmm. I'm every man, I'm every woman, right. I'm every person. So I use myself as an example. This is what we all go through if we dare. Right. Yeah, I'm being reminded, I, I loved a lot about that book, but the part that jumped out the most to me, and I've actually used uh, regularly in just coaching and counseling other people, is when you talk about Sonia coming into your family for the first time. Oh, yeah. And her learning, like, what are the unspoken rules of an addictive system? This is what you wrote. This is a paraphrase of what okay. you wrote. Um, I wrote it I wrote it down in my notes because it was so impactful. I was like, this resonates and I'm going to use it. You said, typically, environments of addiction come with a culture of denial. Mm-hmm. This is true whether the addiction is to alcohol or drugs or to power and control. Mm-hmm. The unspoken or spoken rules of denial are, one, what you think you see you don't. Two, what you think you need, you don't. Three, what you think you feel, you don't. Four, we only talk about what is permissible. To break the rules is to risk exclusion from the family group. Absolutely. Denial is as good as it gets for the involved. Don't feel, see, need, or talk about what is really going on within you, including imagining yourself free to live fully. And don't trust anything will change if you tell the truth. You remember that part? Absolutely, and that's that. That is uh, the the basis of all dysfunctional, impaired, addictive systems, families, coupleship, individuals. Yeah, denial. If the foundation of your identity is built on those rules, I don't see, so that I won't feel, so that I won't wind up being needy, so that I won't wind up trusting that someone is going to risk or be with me in the midst of that. Yeah. And then also I can't talk about what's actually happened inside of me. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like later we're going to spend a lot of time, you know, the framework we gave in the first episode is we're going to talk about over some indefinite period of time, how we were made. Then we're going to talk about what went wrong, which mm-hmm. is kind of some of what we're talking about now. And we'll talk about how do we get better and how do we mm-hmm. struggle towards health until we, yeah, there die. is, there is a thing called redemption. There is a thing called restoration. These are real things, recreation, recovery, yeah. because that's exactly what happened in my own family of origin. There was a breaking point mm. uh, and the uh, recovery began. My father got into treatment and it, which is his story is out there everywhere. It's old now, but of course, but, but he got into recovery. We're all in our twenties. So it was, you know, too late, not too late. Yeah. What it do you was, mean? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, we were already grown. But see, redemption, restoration, recovery, you know, uh, recreation can occur at any time. Mm. As long as there's breath, there's hope. Mm. And all the way until our last days, you know, we all have an opportunity to answer God's first question, which is, where are you? And that's what we're looking for with each other and with God is that, are you here? You know, where we started out the podcast this uh, just a little while ago. We started out with the, 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 the answer to life is a question. Am I safe with you? And can you care about me? And if I am, I will be able to offer the same thing, mm. which starts out as, you know, it's a child question, 
to of someone who has power in front of me or right. in my life. And that's also, you know, the child question puts us in a place of vulnerability. It's like, am I safe with you? And can you care? If I find out you can, then I can be with you right. and you with me. Because that's, I mean, this is not what my degree is in. Um, so correct me if I'm saying anything ignorant mm -hmm. here. But I mean, this is at the root of just the very foundation of attachment and bonding. It, right. It's at the root of it all. Like, it, a, it, like a kid crying and be like, are you going to change my diaper yes. in six hours or yes. within six minutes? And yes. it's going to make all the difference in the world yes. in terms of like. And think about yeah. this, that, that every genuine relationship starts with the person having to be vulnerable. So the person outside of me has more power if I'm going to be vulnerable than me. Mm -hmm. Like I look at you and I say, Brian, am I safe with you? Mm -hmm. And then I say, if I'm safe, can you care about me? I just gave you power and I'm vulnerable, but I'm in need and you can say no to me and I'm going to feel hurt right. or I'm going to feel sad or I'm going to feel scared. And I've got an option there to close up and go back to where I came from in terms of staying stuck in the distrust. I don't see, I don't feel, I don't need, I don't talk and I don't trust, which stays stuck, which means I never thrive. Or I can say, well, you know what? There may be something wrong with you, Brian, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like me. Right. I mean, or there's something blocking you from being able to be vulnerable. Yeah. Or you and I can't be in a relationship. See, we don't have to be in relationships that are sick but we're so used to relationships that are sick that we don't really know an alternative. Mm. I feel like let's take a couple steps back. Yeah. Um, because we just got right into it and it's funny and because a it was ton like, of stuff. All yeah. I mean, I feel like I could ask a few dozen questions about <clears throat> so much you said. I think that began by saying, I'm just glad we're in the same uh, room together, yes. especially because we got eight inches of snow. Yes. And uh, you are safe <laughs> and you do care. I've witnessed it. Mm. And so that when you and I sit down in here together and I'm believing you experience the same with me right. for the most part. Hopefully. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's an old man, young man situation right. here too. But because of that, I can be fully present and I can fully perform, mm. which is the product of a good relationship. Later on, we'll get into that too. Cause that's to me is called the diamond of relationship. Mm. Phenomenal stuff. Well, it's interesting you're talking about that because what's what's flashing back in my mind is when we were, you know, you rewind back to June and my wife and I had this sense of calling of like, yeah, we should go live somewhere else. We're not exactly sure where. The way I've explained it to people is it's like when uh, God tells Israel and Egypt, like, pack up your things and go. And they're yeah. like, where are we going? And he's like, just pack up your things oh, and, yeah. and go. Like, go over to the river, which is strategically not, you know, a the, the most, uh, you know, brilliant plan. It seems like, uh, it's not particularly intuitive. So it's like, we packed up our minivan and we load up our four kids and it's like, we're just going to drive and I'll work from the road and, uh, we'll show our kids, you know, an unhealthy amount of shows so that we can just have hours and hours of talking and getting vision. And, you know, we explored a few different cities that we were possibly going to live in, but one of them was Nashville with the hope that, we would uh, be close to you. But I still remember being scared to even text you like, hey, we're coming through because that was an expression of vulnerability. And I think what I was really yeah. scared of is like, well, what if he doesn't respond? Or what if uh, maybe I've read a little bit 
too much into our relationship and I'm that weird guy who kind of like assumes too much of a mentor and then it's weird. And I still remember we were at a, it was a Zaxby's. I can't remember. I can't remember what state we were in. We weren't in Tennessee yet, but it was a Zaxby's. We went to Zaxby's because that's not a Colorado thing. Yeah. And I think I I think I, by the way, Maybe that could be our first podcast sponsor, Zaxby's. Um, yeah, we have one. Yeah, that's right. That's the one only sponsor. One. That's, the only one. that's the only one we need. Uh, and Judah goes, I'm out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I remember uh, texting you and being like, hey, we're coming through town. You know, like I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to craft this text to be like, I'd love to see you. And I think the thing under the thing is like, Am I safe? Do I belong? Yeah. Do I matter? Uh-huh. Am I misunderstanding this? Am I like, oh. am I foolish to like want to live in Nashville so that we can be close together and work together in some yeah. ways? Um, you know, and so you just, you, you spend all this time crafting a text. Met- I'm just trying to kind of contextualize this because like, I think we all do this. It's like, I'm sending a text and being like, Oh God. Okay. So like, what if he doesn't respond? What if he's busy? How do we make a decision if we're going to live here? I think you like called me like ten minutes later, and you yeah. were like, "Hey, do you want to like you want to come over for dinner? The kids can swim. Yes, and you can. Th- you remember that? Yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay," but I was like yeah. so scared yeah. of just like I, I love that you're naming the thing under the thing when we're scared to send a text message, and yes. we're like, we see the three dots pop up, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, what's coming back?" Uh huh. Brian, you literally named um, what most of us are scared to do and then can't tolerate the response, even if it's yes or no. Right. I mean, it could be yes and no. It could be all kinds right. of things, but we don't know what to do with the response because we're so latent. Mm. means we've suppressed those skills because they had to be. Right. And that's true for almost everyone. Right. Because this nation is built predominantly on a thing called denial, mm. another podcast for the yeah. future. Uh, but what's beautiful is I, I, when you uh, send all of that and you said that, yeah, Megan's got a calling. And I'm like, Megan's got a calling, what? Like, we're, we're called to move there. I'm like, and, and you, you said to me, and you asked her, you said, have you ever been there? Right. She said, no, but that's where we're going to go. Like, okay. And you had been put in a position of being able to work remotely, right? which is amazing. Right. And the work you're doing now is really easily coordinated with what you're doing right now. You're doing your job right, right now while you and I are doing a podcast. Yeah. Because it's it's spreading the word on what your work. Yeah. Okay. So then when you said I'm I'm actually looking at moving here and then y'all came over and so on, I was scared that this was real mm. and I was scared that I saw God moving mm. and like, could this be happening? Mm. And then could Brian really be that dedicated or that energized by this thing? Because I am. Yeah. Would that be amazing if this one person who I trust and care about and believe in, and also you have these abilities, talents, background. It's like, it's pretty amazing. So that's number one. So I was scared of failing you. Mm. And then you brought an energy to me that um, I had um, 
I would not say given up on, but had had declined. Yeah. And so you brought a, a reminder of hope, which was yeah. fabulous. So that's number one. Number two is, this is two men talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it, it's two men talking at this level of into me see, mm-hmm. which is intimacy. And unless men can do that, they never become powerful mm. because we never join a fellowship of trust, yeah. of knowing with words and action that you said before you've got my six. Right. And it's, it's the most difficult thing. I remember a, a, a friend of mine, we, we were meeting, we formed a small group and I remember going up on his back porch. We were meeting every Thursday kind of thing. And I remember I, I would, I would love to go early because we could hang out a little bit before the, a couple of other guys came up. And I remember saying to him, I said, Hey man, are you, are you like, is this real? Right. And I remember I'm the therapist guy, I'm the feelings guy. I've written the books. This is not a long time ago. This is of recent, you know, recent time. Right. And I say, look, I need to know, is this real? Like you're not telling your wife or you come out on the porch, screen porch, dude, I'll get rid of him. I, listen, he, he's here early again. Yeah. What are we going to do? Feed him supper. He's like a mutt dog that came up and won't leave. <laughs> I mean, I'm got that all that shame. Right. Going at you're like, am I that guy? That am I that guy? Yeah, as soon as I literally um, said that to him, am I that guy? Yeah, and then I, I said, I, well, yeah, we know so and so's that, that guy. That, that scares me all the time too. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that feeling of, um, you know, like when I leave, are you telling your wife afterwards? Oh my God, I thought he would exactly never. Go. He's never gonna go. Yeah, yeah, and so you know what? Um, we do need to be that guy. What do you mean? Who can be courageous enough to form fellowship. And we don't need to be that guy who can't tolerate no. Mm. We've got to have the strength of no and the courage to accept yes. Because mm. we're living in the yes right this minute. Right. This is a podcast. Right. This is real. It's happening. Right. Yeah. And it's thrilling. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take us back to the beginning. <laughs> 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 so back to the beginning of saying kind of the, the goal of this, uh, that was the intro, however long that was into the, like we said, in episode one, this is jazz. So we'll go wherever, but the central theme we're after is that we were made by God to be needy, yes. that it is an inescapable reality of our design that we are yep. needy. And, you know, anytime I've talked to anybody about this, um, you know, I try to help them understand that you are initially going to have an intolerance to that reality. For example, we never describe somebody as needy in a positive way. We'd Rarely, like, right? Yeah, like I wouldn't be like, t- I wouldn't be telling Meg, oh, Chip is so needy yeah. in a complimentary yeah. way. Needy yeah. is. It even deeply, has the sarcastic voice along with it. The tone is even yeah, insulting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like an insulting way to describe somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we want to start in a place, and I think everything we just talked about is the overflow of the reality that one of the first steps to health is not only uh, embodying healthy need, but coming to, I think, more than a tolerance or even even an acceptance, but I would say a celebration that the yeah. way that God made me is not a mistake. Mm-hmm. And part of the way that God made me is I am a deeply limited, finite, needy image bearer. With eternity him. in my heart. With eternity in my heart. Conflict right there. Yeah. Sweet. We, we'll, 
let's talk about the uh, APGAR. We'll yeah. get into that. But you brought it up so beautifully that neediness is a precondition to being here. It's in utero, ex utero. We come out of the womb. We're in the womb already, needy. We come out of the womb, needy. We come out of the womb without, we're powerless over how we're made. Not only is it preconditioned, but it's a pre-design. We're designed to be in need. Not only is it a precondition and a pre-design, but we're predestined to have to find, in spite of what the world's tragedy introduces, we have to find our neediness if we lose it. Mm. So neediness is the key. And we'll get into this, I hope. Neediness is the key that actually unlocks the treasure trove of God mm. and his blessings. Say it again. That neediness is a key. And our ability to pick up that key, to go back into how we're made and pick it up and come back out with it, neediness is the key that unlocks the treasure trove of God's blessings in our lives. I mean, Scripture everywhere talks about neediness. I mean, yeah. Psalm 145 just comes to my mind immediately, like, to all who call on him, yeah. he's, he's there to fulfill his promises. Yeah. Calling upon him is neediness. And it, it, we know it's neediness because right after that little verse, it says, for all who fall down, I lift them up, who all who are broken, I repair. Yeah. So, I mean, neediness. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about, I'm attempting to, Lord willing, read the Bible in 90 days with my wife. Wow. Um, and I'm on pace right now. Uh, we both are. And so we just got done. I actually finished uh, Ruth this morning. Um, I read Ruth. through the Pentateuch. Yeah, that's the favorite book I ever preached through was Ruth. That changed my life. Beautiful. Um, yeah. But uh, finished the Pentateuch, and there was a lot of things uh, that were really striking to me. Uh, Pentateuch just being the first five books of the Bible, of just um, the repeated theme of God trying to remind Israel, who he defines as being people who wrestle or strive or struggle mm -hmm. with him, which is already a reflection of neediness, yeah. uh, that they are perpetually never graduating past, always desperately needy of him. And mm -hmm. then the expression of their sin and rebellion is them dismissing God. They're creating gods in their own image. Mm -hmm. uh, they're them basically you know, going to this place of self-sufficiency and independence, and we can take care of ourselves them experiencing the dire consequences of that, them crying out again. Mm -hmm. I've noticed the repetition of that language, the crying mm -hmm. out, the crying out, the crying out, God hearing, rescuing. And basically the Old Testament is that about 10,000 times in yeah. 10,000 different ways. And even, even connecting where we started, that, that God's calling us out of denial. Mm -hmm. Come out of denial. Come back to how you're made and see who you're made to be so you can do what you're made to do. In other words... See me, mm. see yourself, feel because I created you as feeling creatures need because without your neediness, you cannot have your fulfillment. Talk about the struggle that's going on inside of you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart waiting to be spoken. And then finally, test me and see, trust yeah. me and see, watch and see that I am who I say mm -hmm. I am. So, I mean, this is a return out of denial into how we're created yeah. so we can live the lives that we're created to have. So you reference So you reference earlier, like we are, uh, created designed to be needy. And even you made the reference to the APGAR before. Mm -hmm. So tell us what, yeah, let's APGAR go back is. to that. The, uh, there's an obstetrician. Her last name was actually APGAR. 
Okay. And uh, that's so fascinating. I didn't know. Isn't that. it? Yeah. Huh. No. Uh, she uh, she raised the inf- infant um, increased the infant uh, thriving rate exponentially because mortality mortality rate was at a certain level. And then she introduced the APGAR and children little children started to live. Do you know around when this? Nineteen uh, thirties, if I'm not mistaken, okay. I may be mistaken there. But the APGAR is an acronym: it's activity, pulse, grimace, um, uh, something else, and then re- reflex, uh, I believe. Okay. So, hope people look that up. Yeah. But the APGAR actually can be boiled down into three things that medical professionals check for when a baby comes from the womb, when when the birth, and what they're checking is: will the baby cry out? Will the baby cry? Mm-hmm. Okay, which we know. And what you're describing right now, you know, so you're in the delivery room. If somebody's been here yeah. and had that experience, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you you uh, the woman gives birth. Uh, now they do skin to skin contact with some period of time, sure. usually, and yep. then they start doing like immediately a series of tests. You're talking about the series of tests. Yes, they're doing yes, right they're talking about the checking, and it's 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 it's. it's like while the umbilical cord is still there, they're checking for these things. Okay. And then transitioning from there to the, to the mother, if the baby's healthy. Right. So will the baby cry out, Mm -hmm. which is feel Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, a, a a little bitty version of will the baby feel, does the baby acknowledge quote unquote, remember the brain's not working. There's no, the, the brain is a mush pot. It's just not, it's not a functioning at all yet. But the life of the child is fully functioning, okay, which is sounds weird at first. But the child's not a thinking child, or nor is the child articulate. They don't form words. The brain, as we think of our great mind, isn't working, but the heart is, okay? And the heart's doing what's made to do. The, the little creature is feeling their feelings, fear. I'm not where I'm made to be, sad. I've lost where I was, and I'm, I'm, I'm headed to somewhere else, and I know where it's made to be because neuroscience is saying that we – come out of the womb looking for who's looking for us, mm-hmm. okay? And the eyes aren't really working, okay? Yeah. So they're saying something very rich and deep. So will the baby cry out? Fear, loneliness, sadness, hurt, a crave, a desire for a connection, which is anger. So the baby comes out of the womb needy, but, but crying out in their neediness. So number one, will the baby cry out? Number two, will the baby reach out? Will the baby extend their hands towards that which they're made to connect to. And we've seen photographs of a child and when will touch cloth, that's not it. We'll touch a metal instrument, that's not it. But then we'll touch the skin of a skin, yeah. the skin of their skin. They will connect and they, they go, there it is. And is even able to, as far as I understand, differentiate not just skin to skin, but mom's skin yep. from yeah. doctor's skin and it, believe it or not it's the it's a caregiver's skin that's 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 experiencing oxytocin which we won't get in today but but it's a bonding chemical produced not as the thing that makes us connect but as an expression of our craving to connect which mm. may not make much sense because the craving comes before the biochemistry okay hold on that our what hearts are bigger than our biochemistry okay which, which uh, may not make much sense right now but i'm saying the heart is uh, this emotional, spiritual expression of everything we're in pursuit of. And biochemistry and physical bodies, our uh, uh, neurochemistry supports how we're made. It doesn't make us how we're made. Mm. I, want us to, I want all of our audience to grasp that it's not 
the body making us do stuff. The body carries the invisible, emotional, spiritual material that, that pushes us towards what we're made to have. Yeah. I'm saying the heart takes precedence over everything, including the body. Yeah, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it almost makes me think about, you know, it's almost like the way that somebody would use the laws of science to like be like, see, God doesn't exist. Yes. But more they're pointing to a larger reality yes. of design. Yes. And in the history of science is that science was uh, an exploration of God's operations. Right. And so what I'm saying is that they were they were they were they were on target. Right. It's I, th I think it's Lewis, C.S. Lewis, who makes this analogy. Um, but he talks about like per the conversation we're having, it's like a man being stuck inside a piano and seeing the me the mechanics yeah. of like a piano working and being like, see, this piano is playing itself. It's like no, but if you actually take a step back, there's somebody who is yes. actually manning the keys that's pointing to a much larger reality in terms of the nature of what reality is. Yes. And that's what you're saying is in that dynamic in the delivery room, one of the most impactful and, you know, regardless of your background or whatever it is, whatever you believe about reality, I mean, un unparalleled core memory moment is being in the delivery room with your child. Yeah. And that is one of those formative moments that points to yes. the nature of what reality is that we were designed for neediness. Yes. And so this creature comes out of the womb seeking the biochemical connection, but they're doing it with the energy that's survival seeking thriving. Hmm. They don't know they're doing it. They can't help but do it, but it's um, uh, God's design being expressed and neurochemistry follows it. Hmm. And the use of neurochemistry is what expresses the design of God. Yeah. Okay, so this baby cries out feelings, reaches out needs, the need to connect, the need to belong, the need to matter, the need for trust, the need for security, the need for a relationship which makes me thrive, yeah. which gives me security. I'm safe and I'm cared about. So will the baby reach out? And then will the baby crave? Mm -hmm. And see, the, the baby will connect with the skin of the caregiver usually the mother, before they will ever seek the biological food. They don't come out of the womb seeking milk. They come out of the womb seeking the sustenance of emotional and spiritual connection mm. to the being of another mm. person. You and I are created as emotional and spiritual creatures created to seek life to the full. And life to the full occurs through our ability to be in relationship fully mm. with ourselves knowing our own cry out, our reach out, and our craving mm -hmm. with others who are likewise able to do the same and with the God who desires our good. Yeah. And so that creates an integrated being mm -hmm. who's able to connect with themselves, others, and God. That's the full life. Mm -hmm. And so you're born feeling, you're born needing, and you're born craving. And, you know, when the little infant connects with the caregiver, what happens is a whole series of physiological things begin to occur. The breathing rate uh, settles, the heartbeat becomes normalized, skin tone begins, the blood flow begins to connect, little sparkles start to go up into the brain to kind of like sort of turn that yeah. on. An infant is a plug looking for an outlet. Hmm. Neediness is the key that unlocks the treasure trove hmm. of how we're made. Hmm. 
And I know that one of your passions with that is, you know, we, we tend to, even if we affirm that reality conceptually, or even if science kind of affirms it biologically, culturally, we tend to go to a place that maturity is moving beyond that. And yeah. what your passion is, is like, uh, no, this is a glimpse into what the totality of your life is supposed I to look like. I love you saying that. Maturity is integrating that, not growing beyond it. Mm. It's integrating it. That maturity is being able to allow your thinking to let you communicate wisely how you're made, to allow that inborn spiritual craving for connection to become an intimacy with God and yeah. others, to allow your behavior, the, the, the way you express yourself with action, to be integrated congruently with your thoughts, your spiritual life, your feelings. In other words, you can say what you mean and mean what you say. Mm -hmm. You can become a person that somebody can say, is it safe and do you care? And you can tell the truth. Yeah. Like, even if it said, look, man, right now I don't trust you. And what you said about me uh, hurt terribly. And I need to heal before we go on with this relationship. So, I mean, it's just truth telling. Right. So you see that the beginning, the feelings and the needs, the desire, the longings and the hope are all the foundation out of which everything else connects. So we're feeling creatures who think mm -hmm. we're not just thinking creatures who feel. Yeah. So yes, integrate maturity is integrating. In other words, this would uh, probably be a great way to wrap up. But when you grow up, Jesus said something very amazing in Matthew seven, seven, he's talking about trusting God and trusting love in spite of what you've experienced in life from people who say they love and don't. But he said, uh, basically the reason you don't receive is because you do not ask Matthew seven is seven. He says, ask and you shall receive promise seek and you will find promise knock and the door will be opened unto you promise. And what's amazing, Brian, if you can ask, it means you can articulate the feelings and needs and desires and longings of your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. So asking is crying out. So that's a mature version of how you were born. So asking is a cry out. Seeking is a reach out. So as you mature, you become capable of seeking wisely that which you're made to have, and you can communicate it. And then knocking is asking someone to open a door in, inside the place is which that which will meet my craving. So ask, seek, knock is parallel to uh, cry out, reach out and crave. Mm. So Jesus is basically saying, when you grow up, don't leave behind how you're made. Yeah. Stay needy. You yeah. Know, stay needy, my friend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it makes me think also, you know, you referenced Matthew seven. I think it's funny in the first episode I did this as well. I think I carry like low grade anxiety around misquoting the, uh, the Bible, but I think it's Matthew 18 when Jesus not only points to a child, but yep. actually says, if you don't become like a child, yep. you can't enter the kingdom. It's yep. one of the most, you know, Jesus was a guy who gave strong medicine and this is some of the strongest medicine yep. that like, if you're not like this child, you mm -hmm. can't enter the kingdom. Like it's scary. the door into the kingdom mm -hmm. is a childlikeness. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting the way that we have inverted that reality to say, mm -hmm. you know, we mature past a childlikeness yep. and that's what health is. Yep. 
Uh, and we are created to give up childish demand right. and integrate into being able to uh, cooperate and serve. But that Matthew 18, it's, it's 18, 2, and 3. Uh, and uh, it's just, I just happen to know that one. Yeah. But he, he literally asks a child to stand in front of him, and, and he says, unless you change and become mm. like one of these. And the thing is, and I've worked in the addiction field for ever basically now, but you can't change yourself. Yeah. You have to admit a need for change and surrender to the changer. Mm. So you have to make yourself vulnerable to becoming yourself again. So when Jesus said, unless you change, you can't become yeah. and you can't change yourself. He's reintroducing us to everything we've talked about today. Right. That unless you become vulnerable to how you're made again and speak the neediness out of that vulnerability you cannot have the life that you were created to right. have. Yeah. Wow. And, and the prerequisite for change is confessing the need yep. to be yep. changed. And confession means to admit that I'm human. Right. To agree that I'm human. I'm not God. I am another creature. Right. Made by God. Yeah. Okay. You feel like that's a good place to I, for this first one? Yeah. And, and or this um, first conversation about yeah, being needy. And just to to the people who are listening. Uh, it all comes clear. I mean, I know that we'll go in depth and right. sometimes it's like, yeah, you, I can see somebody said, what? Like, well, we said that this, you don't have to play it back. Just the, the play goal, it, keep playing it forward. Right. You're going to come like clear. the goal in the coming weeks is, so you have a book. You didn't ask me to plug this, but I just read this and I really like it. Yep. It's called needs of the heart. Yep. That I mean, I think I've got it right in front of me. I think it's like 70 pages yep. and you explain this. And then, and this is what we're going to do in the coming weeks, mm -hmm. is is talk about some of, not just the fact that we are needy, but some element of like, okay, well, what are some of those needs and yep. how do they manifest themselves and how do we grow in health in these particular ways? But none of that is helpful unless you admit the reality of yes. you have need. It's, yes. an, it's an inescapable reality of the way you were designed. Inescapable, inescapable. And we are feeling creatures crying out. We are creatures who feel and feelings take us to the, the needs, right. which put us in a position of reaching out because right. we're made for connection. We're not made to live in isolation. And the needs take us to the craving for life to the full, which is desire, longings, and hope. The needs of the heart book um, was uh, the communication I got back from uh, the readers uh, when it was written, I was told there's nothing like it in the field of psychology and spirituality. Mm. So I, I'm like, really? Mm. It's so simple. It's so basic. It's different from the voice of the heart. Mm. The voice of the heart is more circular. This is just straight up. Here's right. need number one, need number yep. two, need number three. So it's very readable. I hope you'll hope you'll get it. Yeah, and I think... I'll just end by saying the willingness to be needy is a declaration of war on the spirit of the age that says that health is to have no need. Amen. All right. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. up in us.